Podcast. I'm your host Jordan Kurtz, aka Kurtz EF. Kicking off 2018 with an MMA edition of this podcast. Just want to start off by saying thank you to everybody that's out there listening and following along with us. You could follow us online at galleriesofpeanuts.wordpress.com. Look us up on Facebook. We're also on Twitter at Peanut Podcast. You know, like I say, welcome to the Peanut Gallery Podcast. No topics are safe from comments from the Peanut Gallery. Thanks for joining me. This has been one hell of a ride getting here. It's been a project that's been a couple of years in the making. So actually getting off the ground and coming with a head full of steam in 2018, it's a big deal. Frank Beer once said, you know what the true definition of hell is? It's when you die and you get to meet the person that you could have been. That's not going to be us here at the Peanut Gallery Podcast. We're going to be giving you a lot of raw takes and analysis. The world that we live in is rapidly evolving and it's constantly growing, changing. There's going to be no shortage of topics to cover. We're going to be bringing you a heavy dose of updates and analysis on content such as MMA, boxing, jiu-jitsu, American professional sports like the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, some hockey, and then a variety of personal experiences, current events. Please feel free to submit any sort of content ideas. Be glad to make this as interactive as possible. Also working on putting together a team of contributors that's going to help gather this, uh, you know, this content and produce some pretty quality stuff out there for all of our followers and listeners. Like I said, we want to make this as much about the people as it can be. No topics are safe from comments from the peanut gallery. So without further ado, let's get underway. This past weekend in Boston on the eve of NFL Championship Sunday, there was an incredible event that went down at the TD Garden right there in Boston. This UFC 220, Stipe Miocic against Francis Ngannou, heavyweight title on the line, Light heavyweight strap was also on the line. Daniel DC Cormier against Vulcan Ozdemir. So let's start. Let's start off by breaking down this heavyweight uh, this heavyweight action between Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou. By the way, if the UFC hyped this fight. You'd have thought that Ngannou was the champion. Stipe has been everything that you could possibly want in a champion for the UFC. He's been consistent. He's been a tough guy. He's been somebody who has been great with the media. You know, he's a real blue-collar type of personality. He was uh, he was pumped in the post-fight talking about how he wanted to go back to Cleveland to give another go at his uh, at his snowblower. If you follow the embeddeds, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about there. But, you know, like I say, Stipe is a champion, but by the way that the UFC hyped up Francis Ngannou, you'd have thought that he was. Don't get me wrong, Francis Ngannou, that hype is or I should say was, well-deserved. That man was absolutely devastating every challenge that stepped in front of him. He completely shut the lights out on Alistair Overeem just a mere five weeks ago back at UFC 218. So it was uh, it was something that 
the UFC has been trying to propel, and most people within the fight circle know that it's most likely due to the absence of Conor McGregor not being around. And who knows when we see Conor? He says that he might be coming back toward uh, toward the end of the summer, early fall. The UFC has been on record stating that if he doesn't take a fight by the time that Khabib and Tony go down, that they're going to strip him. So we'll see how that all plays out. It's kind of hard to get ready to fight when you have $100 million in the bank. But like I say, back into, uh, back into Stipe against Francis. Francis Ngannou, he, uh, he caught Stipe early in that first round with a pretty good shot. Stipe had a nice mouse sitting around his eye, but aside from that early barrage of striking, Stipe was able to weather the storm. A lot of the people that I talk with on a regular basis, you know, this was something that was of a, you know, a major discussion over the course of the last couple of weeks ever since this fight's been announced. You know, I've said all along that if there's somebody that can beat Francis Ngannou, it is Stipe Miocic. When the UFC a couple of years ago came out with a prototype for what they say is supposedly the most perfect fighter that's out there, all that skill set aligned perfectly and was attributed to Stipe Miocic. He's Cleveland's finest, ladies and gentlemen. This guy is a firefighter when he is not fighting. Not only is he the baddest man on the planet, but he is also saving lives. Stipe is a guy that, you know, it's, it's crying shame why they don't market him more. He's a lovable guy. If you watch the Embedded's and you follow him, just the kind of way that he interacts with the people around him in his close and tight-knit circle, He's just a, he's a great personality. He's a good person to have, hopefully, with him now making this a record-breaking performance for his third title defense. Nobody else has ever done that in history. Let me say that again. Nobody else in history has defended the UFC heavyweight title three times successfully. Stipe Miocic is the first one to do it. He definitely stakes, uh, stakes a very strong claim for the argument of being the best heavyweight of all time. It'll be interesting to see if I, if Cain Velasquez can make his comeback. It's been widely rumored that Cain's going to be coming back sometime this year. There's going to be more on that later to come, so we'll, uh, we'll keep going down along with the fight here. Basically, I have one question out there for the UFC and their uh, their performance facility. So for those of you that don't know, Francis Ngannou was homeless less than five years ago, or right around five years ago, forgive me for not having the exact timeline correct. But, so it, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible how much he's been able to accomplish just within this short time frame. The UFC has moved him out to Las Vegas to basically be a resident of the performance facility which is something that you would uh, you know if, if you've ever seen any sort of high level athletic facility in terms of you know the Olympic training centers to high level college programs and their strength and conditioning facilities as well as professional sports like the NFL it is, uh, it's incredible there's everything f- that you could possibly imagine from cryotherapy stations to your training facility there there there's a lot that it has to offer but for some reason Francis Ngannou couldn't find the treadmill he couldn't find anything that could make him outlast one round with Stipe after the first round you could just tell that he was uh, he was damn near dot of 5000 and Kimbo level exhausted 
by the time the fourth round came around, he didn't even really want to lift his arms. He could There was just so much blood and lactic acid that was pushed into those giant muscle bellies of his from Stipe pretty much ragdolling him for the majority of the contest. You know, Stipe had no shortage of successful takedown attempts as well as a incredible effort in the fourth round where he outstruck him, you know, 84 strikes to zero, I believe that it was. That's just taking a man's will. Stipe in the post-fight conference, he said that he uh, he said that he saw, he sensed, and he felt that about you know midway through the first round that he was taking Francis Ngannou's will. He said he wore one of his hardest shots that Francis threw at him and kept on coming. He said from that point on, he knew that it was uh, it was going to be in his favor. Stipe is the champ for a reason. Make no mistake about it. With that being his third title defense. There, there's really, there's no, uh, there's no way that you can say that he is not one of the greatest to ever compete within the division. You know, hopefully, hopefully there's going to be some guys that continue to push the pace and call on him to have some more successful title defenses. I know that Fabrizio Verdum, uh, the gentleman who he knocked out to win the title, is knocking at the door for another chance. We'll see how this all plays out for him. But like I say, just to kind of tie up how this fight went, it was it was an outclassed event essentially. Stipe made Francis Ngannou look like he was just a hype train. Hopefully Francis can come back. He didn't uh, he didn't look too broken down in defeat. He uh, he seemed very gracious and very Conor McGregor esque after Conor lost to Nate Diaz. You know he said that. He underestimated when he took his uh, when he took his explosive runs towards Stipe, so maybe that'll teach him for future references, you know, or for future instances when and when not to uh, to explode, and also what it's like competing at this championship level. You know, we're still learning a lot about Francis. Francis doesn't have a whole lot of high level fights under his belt. Well, he learned what top level fighting was about. Stipe was happy to uh, happy to introduce him to that. Stipe, you know, I feel bad for him, like I say, because the UFC doesn't do a whole lot of promotion for him. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast a few weeks ago talking about how he pretty much felt that the UFC was hoping that Francis would win. And it's hard not to say that uh, it's hard not to say that one would agree with his analysis on that, given that they pretty much pumped in everything that they can to Francis and not a whole lot into him. I was just comparing some of the uh, the bits of the embeddeds and some of the promo material. The time spent on Francis outlasted the time that Stipe had. But like I say, Stipe is uh, Stipe should hopefully now get the recognition and the respect that he truly deserves. Stipe all throughout the fight displayed a high level of fight IQ. Francis, you could tell, was starting to gather his bearings and gear up for another explosive run at the winding seconds of the fifth round, but with about 20 seconds left when he was just about ready to explode, the savvy veteran, Cleveland's finest, Stipe Miocic, clinched him tight and did not allow for that explosive run to happen, ride him out until the final bout, or till the final bell of the bout, and win him by final decision, or win him by final uh, unanimous decision once that came along. It wasn't even close, ladies and gentlemen. Not even close. 
We're going to transition into the light heavyweight title fight between DC and Vulcan Ozdemir. This is DC's return since he got knocked out against John Jones back this last summer. That fight was later ruled a no contest following Jones failing the drug test and the title was then in fact reverted back to DC since uh, since if you all don't recall that was uh, that was a title exchanging fight back then in July. DC outclassed Vulcan Ozdemir as well. You know, this was an absolute dominant performance by the former Olympian. Right out of the gate, Vulcan looked like he was uh, he was almost I don't want to say out of place, but that he was in a league that he almost didn't belong. DC striking looked phenomenal. DC outstruck a knockout artist. The Swiss knockout artist could not land a quality shot. He did land in a couple of pot shots here and there, but nothing that he had any sort of successful combinations to where he ever remotely presented a threat to the champion or put him in any sort of a dominant position. DC is just kind of that guy that you love to hate, or at least for me he is. DC's always kind of had that heel personality it's a term that's been coined from uh, from WWE or from wrestling and general professional wrestling, I should say. He's the guy that you love to hate. The John Jones saga, him not making weight, the Towelgate incident, just some of the things that he says. He's just uh, he's one of those guys that you love to hate. But DC is that damn good. He's destroyed almost everybody that stood toe to toe against him, not named John Jones. He's arguably the best heavyweight to ever compete in the sport, not named John Jones. And unfortunately, DC's legacy will probably forever be tainted by his inability to get past one John Jones. The UFC has seen a very big turnaround for the light heavyweight division. The light heavyweight division used to be saturated with talent. It used to be just oozing with all-time greats and Hall of Famers. It used to have the Huntington Bad Huntington Beach Bad Boy Tito Ortiz that was a title title holder for a long time. Chuck the Iceman Liddell, Quentin Rampage Jackson, Vanderlei Silva, Randy the Natural Couture, Vitor Belfort, Leota Machida, Sugar Rashad Evans. The list goes on and on for that division. That used to be one of the marquee spots within this sport, or within this promotion, I should say. And right now, the cabinet's pretty uh, cabinet's pretty empty. Since uh, since John Jones can't seem to get his shit together, and Rumble Johnson still being in retirement following his second loss to Cormier, there's really not a whole lot that's there. You know, I think Dana White would probably agree with my assessment on that because he brought up the idea in his uh, in his post-fight interview or the the post uh, post-production interview that he would debate or he would entertain the notion of having a DC against Stipe super fight. Both of the champions pretty much shied away at that idea. Stipe pretty much said that he just wants to get home. He doesn't really care about anything else that they wanted to talk about. He just wants to get home. He's about to have a kid. Congratulations, Stipe. You know, he's about to have a child, so he didn't really want to entertain too much of that talk. And then DC really shied away at a lot of that as well. 
Like I mentioned earlier, Cain Velasquez, his teammate, he's uh, he's rumored to be making a return this year, and obviously Cain, who is widely touted as one of the best heavyweights to ever compete in mixed martial arts, he has his sights set on Stipe Miocic and trying to return to his former title-level self. Kane's had a slew of back injuries. You know, I don't know if Kane can ever make that comeback. But that would definitely be interesting to see whoever he does make the fight against. I'd love to see the fight DC against Stipe. But I don't think that DC would ever uh, would ever step out of line from the precedent that's been set as far as, uh, as far as their American Kickboxing Academy love that they have there. The entire reason why Daniel Cormier fights in the light heavyweight division, for those of you who don't know, is based off of his relationship with Cain Velasquez. Cain Velasquez is a heavyweight. DC came up as a heavyweight. It was going to come to a point to where they were going to have to face each other. DC decided to drop a division, and the rest is history. It's going to be interesting to see what happens for DC. You know, DC has a bright future ahead of him. He is obviously the champion and will continue to be so for uh, for the foreseeable future. He does a great job with commentary on the UFC broadcasts for some of the different cards. He's frequently on on fight or fight nights on cable TV, and he's also done his share of uh, share of pay per view events alongside Joe Rogan. It's going to be interesting to see, like I say, what what's in store for him. He's also in the past mentioned the possibility of going to the WWE. Who knows? Daniel's starting to uh, he's starting to make a lot of money, so. Once guys get to that point, for those of you who are fans, you well know that sometimes fighting isn't the most important thing in the world anymore. It's more so preserving the brand and building for the legacy and the family. So who knows if he goes WWE route, try to maximize the cash cow and make some more money. Moving on to some of the next fights, it was a great night for the Boston Fighters, like I say. First off, I'm going to start off by talking about Rob Font. Rob Font out in front of his hometown. He pretty much decimated Thomas Almeida the entire fight. You know, he had a he had a barrage of kicks, strikes, you know, punches all across the board. Pretty much, pretty much just took it to the Brazilian the entire night. Had him uh, had him in trouble the entire time. Almeida really hasn't looked the same since he got knocked out by Cody Garbrandt back in 2016. You know, Almeida's dropped three of his last four contests and is he's on a he's on a two fight win streak right now. So. Who knows how much longer that he has on the promotion. Usually guys that go past a two-fight losing streak, they're usually uh, they're on the hot seat looking for a job somewhere else. So we'll see. Hopefully Almeida can turn it around, but it was a great night for Rob Font. Calvin, the Boston finisher, Qatar, put on one hell of a performance, displaying some pretty crisp boxing combinations. He had some timely head movement, precise footwork. He was in and out. He's working some pretty solid exchanges with Shane Burgos. Both guys were comfortable in the pocket. Both guys had some pretty solid, uh, pretty solid back and forth exchanges with each other. It just came down to, in the end, who was going to get who. Burgos landed more strikes with more significant strikes, but it was Qatar that was able to find the mark in the third round that sent that sent Burgos buckling. You know, he uh, he sent him down the elevator shaft, legs buckled out right underneath him. On the eve of the NFL AFC Championship, the Patriots' love was in full effect. Qatar said right away he was citing his support for TB12 and wanted to talk about how he was going to have some wings watching the game the next day because he's no longer dyed in for the fight. Say the Boston love was in full effect with these guys. Then uh, then they also saw a pretty lackluster fight. 
with uh, with John Vellante. He, uh, he won by a split decision, but it was a pretty even matchup overall. Both fighters finished with 74 total strikes. Neither of them attempted any sort of a takedown, submissions, anything along those lines. So that was probably uh, that was probably the low light of the night. But overall, it's a pretty solid night of action there in uh, in Boston. We're going to move on and transition here to uh, to Bellator 192, Rampage against Sonnen. Really, I should say, though, the story was uh, that the night was, was stolen by the Red King. The Red King returned to reign at Bellator 192. There was a welterweight title fight, like we kind of mentioned earlier, between Rory, uh, Rory McDonald and Douglas Lima. The 170-pound division has been locked down for quite some time in the Bellator promotion. Rory McDonald, for those of you who don't know, he's kind of had a carousel bouncing around from promotion to promotion, but has been so good for so long, was one of the phenoms of the sport, was one of the very big young names in the UFC, had some big fights, won some big fights, lost a couple of big fights moved promotions over to Bellator with the uh, with the hope that with all the sponsorship money that he was going to be making a lot more on that side of things. You could pretty much say, you know, I don't really know what his bank statement's looking at as far as earnings go, but you would have to say that his destination to uh, to Bellator or his, uh, his voyage has been manifested completely. He won the title, folks, and he won in pretty convincing fashion. It wasn't Pretty well fought matchup by Lima, but Rory just looked like he was. Uh, it looked like it was his night. Rory couldn't even walk out after the fight. Rory had to be carried because his shin looked like it was double the size. You know, I I'm, I haven't seen any sort of official report at this point to see if there's been a broken bone within his leg, but one would have to think so, as swollen as his leg was right away. Lima was vicious with the leg kicks absolutely vicious you know he was very uh, very early Aldo-esque with those low leg kicks the Red King reign folks Rory McDonald showed the fighting heart of a champion you could tell that through after about you know the mid about midway through the third round, that leg wasn't holding up at all. Any time that they ever got into scramble or trans or a transition, anything other than being directly on the ground, Rory was trying to take it right back there. You know, coming out of the gates for the final couple of rounds, he shot a takedown right away. For that matter, any time that he got to his feet, he was going for the takedown. He wanted no part of standing and exchanging. There was a, there was an exchange later on in the fight where they were, uh, before he was able to close the gap, he caught another low leg strike and you could just tell the wince on his face that he was in absolute pain. But he was able to, he was able to forge through the pain and he came away victorious. It was a great night out in Englewood for the Red King. Brought home gold back for Canada. One thing that I, one thing about this Bellator card that I was extremely excited about was it was the opening round of the heavyweight Grand Prix. I used to love watching fights as a kid. You know, you would see them online and they would show basically the tournament formats of uh, the old K1s to the Prides to all the overseas promotions because nowhere here in the States did it like that. 
well, Bellator's bringing back the Grand Prix style. It's not as condensed as Grand Prix used to be, but it's still nice to see that there's a sort of a sort of tournament style fight going. This has had mixed reactions, though. The Bellator Heavyweight Grand Prix lineup basically consists of a who's who of fighters that are, you know, let's just say a little bit past their prime. Some people have said, you know, yeah, I'd have been interested in these fights 10 years ago. Well, as an avid fight fan and MMA enthusiast, I am thrilled at the prospect of watching some of these guys fight. You know, I I love I love being able to see the American gangster Chael Sonnen get back in there against Rampage Jackson. I love being able to see that, but I'm not everybody. You know, I I'm I'm excited to see the Last Emperor Fedor get back in there after uh, after his last performance against Matt Matt Mitrione. Mitrione is competing in the Grand Prix as well. I already mentioned Frank Mir as being a influential figure as far as my MMA fandom earlier within the show and Frank Mir is going to be competing in the uh, in the contest as well. There's a lot of big names that are involved in this. I like the prospect of it. Some people might not. <clears throat> so as far as the first leg of it goes, Chael Sonnen, he was, uh, he was victorious fighting against Rampage Jackson. I'll be honest with you. Chael didn't look that great at at a heavyweight, Chael looks much better when he can uh, when he can cut and use his speed and precision. He looked great against a rampage who looked in even worse shape. So just to kind of put it in perspective, Chael fought at 222 and he looked like a soft 222. You know, he had a little bit of a muffin top coming up over his uh, up over his tights. Looked like he uh, looked like he basically fought without ever having to cut weight. Looked like he was just right off the streets. Rampage looked a lot better than he has in his last few fights, but Rampage still fought basically 50 pounds heavier than he did in his prime. Rampage weighed in at 253. When Rampage was at his prime, destroying people in pride as a heavyweight title, or excuse me, as a light heavyweight title holder in the UFC, he was at uh, he was at 205. There's a big difference there, and it looked like it. Rampage was gassed early on, and that was the same thing in his last couple of fights. You know, King Mo, who was also in the Grand Prix, King Mo beat him the same way, pretty much wearing him out, gassing him out. Rampage is not what he used to be. One thing Rampage can still do, though, is Rampage can still explode. Chael did a great job of making sure that he didn't leave himself vulnerable for some of those big shots or big opportunities to where Rampage could let off that one shot. You know, I don't know how many of you out there remember the uh, the Rampage-Keith Jardine fight, but it could be that last 10-second tap on the canvas and Rampage may shut the lights out on you. He is that, uh, he is that powerful. Really, really looking forward to this. Though, like I say, big country. Roy Nelson and Matt, Matt Mitrione are going to be kicking off on the uh, on the next Grand Prix event. There's also going to be Ryan Bader. He's uh, he's bumping up a weight class. He's a current Bellator light heavyweight champion. So it's going to be interesting to see him in the mix. See how he uh, see how he stacks up coming up in a weight class. But like I say, overall, I think uh, I think the night was stolen overall by uh, by Rory. 
But I do want to shed light on a couple of the other performances. This Bellator card was an absolute marathon. There was like 16, 17 fights, so I'm not going to get into all of those. I'll, I'll save your ear on that, especially for some of the uh, lower-level card fights. But I don't know how many of you out there remember some of the hype train or some of the buildup of, uh, of one young gentleman named Aaron Pico. Aaron Pico... He's a, he's a guy who is he's a member of American Kickboxing Academy, so he's definitely surrounded by a lot of killers on a daily basis. He looked sharp. He looked absolutely sharp. He uh, he came out and he sent a message that he's more than just a hype train. He was high, he was largely hyped as he got into the sport. Huge wrestling background. He uh, he had some injury issues coming on early into his career, and then in his first big fight, it was blown up all over ESPN. It was on social media, everywhere, all across the board for a little bit for that uh, for that card. All you could hear was Aaron Pico. Well, he unfortunately lost that fight. Fortunately for him, though, he's turned that around with a two-fight win streak. And I could say that in his Bellator 192 performance against Shane Crutchen of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, shout out to Eddie Bravo, he absolutely dominated. He whipped his ass from the beginning bell. I wish that I could bring in the audio from, uh, from the knockout shot that he landed. He landed a body shot knockout that just makes you cringe while you're wa- watching, watching him fight. Incredible performance. Former Bellator lightweight champion, two-time lightweight champion, I should say, Michael Chandler. He smothered uh, smothered Goiti Yamauchi with uh, with a unanimous victory, or with a victory by unanimous decision, I should say. Chandler was active in the contest, pretty much controlling the position and pushing the pace the entire time. You know, he took a couple of pretty clean kicks and punches to uh, to the face and to the head in the third round, but he was able to withstand that uh, that barrage of strikes and was able to continue to, uh, to ride out for victory. Hopefully, he's he's at least got his sights pointed in the direction for uh, for that lightweight championship. That's uh, that's pretty much it for the most part, covering the main portion as far as what's going on or what went on this last weekend for Bellator 192, Rampage versus Sonnen, as well as UFC 220, Miocic against Nganu. I'm looking forward to some pretty big fights coming up in the uh, in the near future. Got Khabib going up against Tony Ferguson. That should be an amazing fight. That's a fight that should have happened a long time ago. Khabib had his weight issues. Well-known, well-documented saga on that side. I'm just happy to see that it's finally going to happen. Looking at uh, looking at a rematch of Rose Naviunas against Joanna uh, Jurjejic for the uh, for the women's championship. That was an incredible fight. The first time that happened, I, I would have never anticipated that Thug Rose would have been able to uh, to win in a knockout fashion the way that she did. So it's going to be interesting to see what Joanna brings back to the table to see if uh, see if she can reclaim gold or if Thug Rose is going to keep on giving her that thug love and shut it down. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up and sign off. I'm Jordan Kurtz with the Peanut Gallery Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned for the latest and greatest. No topic is safe from comments from the Peanut Gallery. Kurtz EF signing out. Fly the rest of them still got my Nike boots. Fly the rest of them fly.